The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Tell us in the chat where you're tuning in from today. All right, Austin, Texas. Welcome, Michelle. Hey, let's keep going here as people start to join. Another Phoenix, Arizona, Kansas City. This is great. All right, I'm your show host today, Lily Austin. And we're going to talk about how to stand out when selling to executives with our awesome guests, Christine Rogers and Jamal Reimer. Christine is a seasoned sales and marketing leader with over 15 years of experience in recruiting, hiring, training, and managing high-performing sales teams. Currently, she is the president and COO at Aspireship. Go ahead and check them out. But don't be fooled, because in addition to being an executive today, she has experience owning a small business in the past. She is passionate as a people leader, and she aims to maximize team performance and drive results by multiplying talent. And how is this for a first-time guest on the Sell Better Daily Show, Jamal Reimer? Over the last 20 years, Jamal has closed multiple $50 million deals as an individual contributor. He authored the best-selling book, Mega Deal Secrets. He has coached hundreds of ambitious sellers to close the largest deals of their lives, and he founded the Enterprise Sellers Community. You should go ahead and check that out. It's a community of practice for individual contributors, perhaps like you. Before we start, if you are looking to level up in 2023, we are here to help. Our Sell Better membership has instant access to training and resources, and it has corporate sales training programs for your broader team. Check us out at sellbetter.xyz or go ahead and scan the QR code on the screen. Also, we couldn't do these daily shows without our partners. Today's session is brought to you by Magical, and they are also sponsoring our daily drop. So we're going to go ahead and drop that in the chat now. What is Magical, you might ask? Well, it helps you streamline your sales processes, prospect leads faster, update your CRM automatically, and send personalized messages in the blink of an eye. So go ahead and click that link if it sounds magical to you. All right, to help make the most of today's show and make it really dynamic, we've got a couple of polls to launch throughout the session. If you are a repeat tuner in, this should not be news to you, but the first poll is going to just ask, let us know who's in the room by roll. I'll give you a couple minutes to go ahead and respond here. It looks like we've got, oh, it's a tight race. AEs are beating out the SDRs and BDRs here. We'll give you a couple minutes. So go ahead and finish that. And as you're engaging with the poll, what should you expect to get out of today? Well, we want you to leave with a few tips and tricks for speaking executive. We'll cover relevant messaging and etiquette or some soft skills. I think that's going to be really important. We also want to make sure we're giving you advice on how to keep an executive's attention. And this is especially important if you're selling across generational gaps, right? And that puts a spotlight on being an expert communicator. That applies whether you're talking about a cold prospecting email, right? All the way through to upselling once you have closed that executive and their business. 
All right, looks like 41% of you are account executives, which is great. This is a perfect conversation for you. We got 30% in that XCR role uh, with some frontline managers, senior leaderships, and others here. One more quick poll is going to come at you so that we can make this the most dynamic sort of conversation that we have, right? Let us know by revenue what size company you sell into today. And while you engage with that poll, this matters a lot when we think about the purview of executives, right? The founder and CEO of a $1 million company in revenue, they're probably going to have a different set of pain points and priorities than, say, an S&P 500 executive with a decade or more worth of CEO experience. And oftentimes that correlates with these individuals being in different generations and therefore having pretty measurable communication styles, right? So how do you speak executive? Christine, let's go ahead and uh, start with you here. So how do you, or I guess like what is the first clear step in the art of speaking executive? I, I think it could be setting objective, right? But But how can our audience start to set their desired outcome and make it easy for executives to engage with them. And let's go ahead and just share the results of this poll so we can have you and Jamal answer in the most uh, you know, sort of contextual way possible. It looks like we have about 29% of our audience that sells into companies that are between 50 and $500 million in revenue. So what we might call mid-market. With the next most important cohort here, being in the $500 million to $1 billion company size enterprise. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a really fun conversation. So one of the first things that we talked about, Lily, even when we were in this pre-show, is really defining what outcome you're looking for. So being very clear about what you're doing with this outreach first. I think that is super important because... If you are going high, if you're going right to the top, to the C-level executive of a larger company or mid-market uh, type of company, you may want to think about specifically, I'm probably not going to get them to sign a contract tomorrow. So what am I looking for from this outreach? Oftentimes, I think we, and I would call this like the currency is high for something like this, for them to actually re, you know, engage with you in a selling conversation. So being clear about what you're asking for. I'm asking for who I should be talking to, John. I'm asking for, you know, um, Kelly, is, is Kelly the right person that I would be wanting to talk with? Being really clear about this small ask if we're getting to that so that they may actually engage with you and doing it in a way it doesn't feel like a super high currency. So if they don't have to take a lot of time, making it really easy for them and asking for something really simple in order to get the, the ball rolling, the ball moving and kind of a little, hi, I'm here, I'm, I'm approaching you, and but I'm doing it in a very respectful way that is going to make it easy for you to um, to, to engage with me. I love that. Awesome. Great advice. Make it easy and also make sure you're really clear on your outcome. Jamal, let's hear from you. Seven minutes in. We're way overdue for this. You talk a lot about using the audience as a roadmap for what to say and when. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here and I'd love to have you talk through this next slide set as we unpack what you mean there by, by audience and message. So let's go ahead and pull that back up. 
All right, Jamal, over to you. How should we think about this? Um, how, how we prepare and execute messages or conversations with customer stakeholders really depends on, on who they are and what they care about. And so I did this analogy or this, this little story, which is, okay, you're selling a product or a service. So let's say it's a product. You're selling a, serve, a product today. You could, you could pitch or you could refer to the value of that product, same product, three different ways. You could talk to somebody who's kind of lower in the organization, who I lovingly call worker bees. You know, they're the individual contributors who are on the shop floor, pushing buttons, moving pallets, uh, writing reports, doing the work. And you could sell or talk about your product as an easy button, right? The, 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 the person on the shop floor is looking for an easy button to make his or her life a little bit easier. And if you sell at that level, you're probably going to get a lower side deal because the scope of the value of what you're talking about is relatively limited. So let's say if you're going for a manager, uh, for a team, it's, it's a hundred K deal that you get out of it. Now, if you graduate up to the next level, if you want to build the slide, you could be uh, pitching that same product at a VP level, but talk about the value that's delivered across an entire business unit, not just a team. And if that message resonates, you're on deck for, let's say, a million-dollar deal. But if you want to get to that C-suite, if you want to make it all the way to the top of the organization, what you talk about and the value that you, your company, your product can deliver has got to resonate at the executive level, which means it needs to move the needle either for one or more business units or across the entire enterprise. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, who you're talking to, what level are they at, what's the scope of their world and their accountability really makes a difference in terms of the nature of the conversation you're going to have and the value that you and your organization, your product can bring. Love that. And so, Christine, how would we how would we take this framework of who we're selling to and make it easy? So what's an example of something that's really easy at the manager impact level versus something that's really easy for a C-suite. And, and we'll do all this like in the context of messaging, right? That's what we're talking about here. What's easy in a messaging approach for a C-suite versus a manager? So I think when you are looking at deals of this size, you're doing, a, you're, you're it, talking to a lot of different people typically, right? So we are talking to like that, you know, where he said kind of that user buyer that's going to actually be tactical and doing it using it likely, let's say, right? So I want to have some engagement there that will be around the pain points that they're probably seeing, relevancy to them and maybe what they're talking about in market or what you've seen them engage with on LinkedIn, different things like that, where they're probably dealing with some current pain points that might be something that your product or service solves. So I would get pretty tactical there in where we talk about that. Now, at the same time, if you go high and you are going to the C-suite, you're like, just like he said, Jamal, it was perfectly said, we're not going to talk about the, the little pain points. That's only going to be an irritant. They don't care. What they care about is, is it going to help, you know, with strategic goals that we're doing? Is it going to be massively impactful revenue wise? Is it going to save us 
something. Maybe it removes, you know, some roadblocks. This this tool is going to remove roadblocks so that we can get to the actual big rocks that we're trying to solve as a company. And maybe I know what those are because I actually did the research in advance about what the company is going to be doing in the next few years and do that. And so then you're coming to that conversation with those specific points around what I saw about the company, what it looks like your big rocks are, your priorities are that you're working toward. And we know that we can help the team that Kelly manages by doing blah, 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 blah. And um, so you're kind of attacking it from both sides. And what we're looking for is Kelly to be aware if she's the manager and also that we have this C-suite individual that's going to say, oh, yeah, Kelly, this one might be something to take a look at. Then we've got more in. We've got, um, you know, we've got buy-in. We've also shown that we have earned the right to have a conversation because we did the work, the research necessary to really understand what's important to them. Love it. Love it. And we're, we're going to, when we talk about a, retaining that confidence and making sure that executives see you in confidence, we're going to circle up at the end of the show talking about some, some research because research and translation are going to be critical as we think about executive readiness here. Let's go ahead and, and move on to our second topic here, which is etiquette. So I am what they call a geriatric millennial, and we're not quite Gen X, but we don't always fit squarely, squarely into this like large span of millennials. And we're definitely not Gen Z, right? There was this great Medium article written a few months back, and they talked about how one of our geriatric strengths, however much of an oxymoron that sounds like, is is being able to bridge communication and etiquette gaps. Now, I am not going to ask your age. We will drop that article in the chat here. <laughs> uh, if it sounds like this could be you, go ahead and check it out. It's, it's awesome, right? But I do want to know with our third poll here, how often you are in person with executives. This is our last poll of the day, but it's going to help us make sure that when we talk about etiquette, we're appropriately accounting for whether we want to be mostly in person or mostly virtual or split the difference between the two. So understanding that we had a disproportionate amount of account executives here in the room, and most of you were selling into that nice sweet spot mid-market with the next largest cohort selling into enterprise, I am not super surprised here to see that we've got like once a month or once a quarter being uh, a, a popular answer here, though 40% of you have never been on site with an external executive. So this is going to be a really valuable conversation, right? Let's go ahead and end this poll and I will share the results so everyone can see 39% of you, almost half of you have never been on site with an external executive. So not somebody who works at your company, but someone that you're selling into. The reason I wanted to ask this, right, and Jamal, this question is coming over to you first, is because that one thing that I found in this virtual world that we've really yet to replicate is the value of that in-person time with executives. And this is especially true if you're an enterprise seller and you're trying to take down Jamal's expertise here, which is mega deals, right? From meetings to dinners, you got to show up right as a cohesive account team. And that is true, even if you are a junior member of that team. So, Jamal, what are some things to consider as some of our audience is preparing to spend some, uh, you know, first time in person with executives, hopefully this fiscal year? I mean, 
several things. So just my 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 general practice is uh, I, I prepare as much as I can. The the key with executives is to do as much of the legwork before and after any interaction with an executive so that you're taking tasks off of their plate and you're just leaving outcomes, insights, decisions, right? Everything else should be not on the plate of executives. So if I'm planning on meeting an executive, it depends on if I'm going to be meeting them the first time or if this is, you know, uh, an ongoing engagement. So baseline behavior and prep. So you, um, you, you want to know the business of the company that you're dealing with. You don't want to be stuck even at just at the, uh, the, the business unit level or the tasks level. So you want to know what drives the business. You don't need to be an expert, but you need to, you know, be able to, to, to know what the, what, what the essential pillars are. So I was in pharmaceutical R and D software. So I needed to know the top one, two, three drugs that that uh, drug company was offering. What, 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 where did the lion's share of their revenue come from? I didn't have to be an expert in pharmacology or know all of their products, but I needed the heavy hitters, right? Um, then you had to be prepared enough to have, um, I, I would do prep with other people around that executive and basically say, you know, if I had contacts at a lower level or even with the admin, if they had an, an, an assistant of some kind, I would ask questions to say, you know, either how does this person like to consume content or information? What's the best way to get him or her information in advance? Do they want to see pre-reads? Do they want to have a conversation? Do they want to look at numbers? What's best? And then I would tailor the prep and whatever deliverables were there based on how they like to uh, digest information. Then there was the, you know, the showing up and the showing up, you want to dress right. And so the general rule that I was taught and that it, it, it was some variance, but it was mostly always um, get a read on what professional attire is in, in their reality and maybe bump it up a notch. Mm -hmm. So for most of my career, uh, in the beginning of my career, it was suit and tie. Then at some point, the tie dropped off. Then toward the end, it changed to jeans plus a nice you know, shirt and, and a sport coat. But that's about as low as it got. Yeah. And, and all the executives toward the end there, you know, like the last five years before COVID, even all the executives who I would go visit were in that kind of attire. So I'd be there or maybe one notch up. I could go on and on, but I want to take a pause because I think I'm rambling. Now. <laughs> I really love that. And by the way, I, I love overdressing, right? But there have been times where selling into this you know, 50 to $500 million mid-market tech company, I've shown up in a business suit, everyone else is in jeans, sometimes leggings, and they they look at you like you're a banker there to acquire their company, or like you're a management consultant in there to advise on, you know, a reduction in force, right? That was a big mistake. So I do think pressure test and benchmark. Christine, let's... Yes. Let's let's talk about some of the soft skills and considerations that help set the stage for that serious value-centric conversation between a rep or someone on a selling team and an executive. What are some of the things that you look for? 
I, I love that you all brought up kind of presentation, appearance. One thing I would add, because I, I absolutely agree with that, Lily, like I've been in this situation where I have been uh, a little too overdressed. Um, prepare for that. So maybe a blazer with like a, some, you know, something that you could take off so that as you're coming in, it's like, oh, it's a little warm in here. You can remove it, brings it down more casual so you're a little more approachable. So different things like that, like if you think in advance about how you know, I always think about this, like, how would I want someone to describe me when I leave? Like, not like physically, but how would I want to have left them? I want them to say she's very confident. She's competent. She was warm, uh, very effective and talking to different types of people in the organization, um, was just as polite to the receptionist when she walked in as anybody else. So I, I want to understand, like, how what is my brand, my own, because I'm also representing me and my company. So I think about those things in advance. Um, those are some of the ways that I craft kind of not, I mean, we all have, this isn't about being inauthentic. This is about, you've got a lot of arrows in the quiver. You have a lot of personality to you. So bringing forward your best self in this moment, in these moments, don't try to be anybody else, but be more you works in this type of a situation. Um, I will also say, uh, often when you are in a situation where you may be talking to different types of stakeholders, different people in the company, if you don't know something, it is better to not pretend that you do. So I have been in this situation, and Jamal, I'm sure like you could speak to this as well, where people have started using acronyms around me that I'm unfamiliar with. And um, I have watched other people pretend they knew what the acronyms were. <laughs> and, you know, um, you're in this moment where you're having a little bit of a panic, like, am I, should I know this? Or if I, and then they directly ask you something that is about it. I have found that it is much more confident to say, you know, Brad, I'm unfamiliar with that term. I can tell you when that has happened, sometimes I should have known it. But sometimes it was an internal acronym that they were using that nobody outside of the company would have known. But also the other people that were not in the company just nodded and went along. And that allowed for me to be open and just saying, I'm unfamiliar with that. Could you, um, what, what's, what are you referring to? And allowing people to break it down. There are going to be moments that you might not know everything. You've done all the prep work and you might not know everything. And a confident individual is okay with that. And I have found that that usually works well to be able to say, if I don't understand it or know it, I'm either going to table it and come back to it. I'll look it up in the quick moment I have to run to the restroom and take a Google it really quick if I should know something. And be, I mean, be resourceful, but also be confident enough to say, you know, I'm not familiar with that. And I think that that goes a long way. We get scared in those moments where we kind of have those fight or flight moments. And that's usually when we start verbally processing too. We start going really fast. We're trying to hope that they don't pay, you know, they're not paying attention. This happens on Zoom. This happens in person. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Pause and slow down, right? So when we, when we think about how do I approach etiquette, we want to properly prepare, right? So that you can communicate simply. Jamal, we'll come back and talk about this theme of simplicity and how we get to those really valuable nuggets for an executives to believe us and to find us credible and worthy of continuing to listen. Christine, I love this idea of 
pause and slow down, right? We're not going to muscle our way into resting control of a conversation. It is not a, a power balance that is always going to be even here when we are a younger person in a room with an older executive, but we can always take a moment to compose ourselves and really make sure that we're listening, right? And practice pressure testing the moment, whether that's with an account executive, whether it's with your own executive team, right? Like make them ask you hard questions. Let let yourself really internalize that knowledge and that research and all of that preparation and how you feel in the moment so that you're not flying blind as you walk into these on-sites here, right? Absolutely. All right. Let's get into our third topic here. So we, we've talked about outcomes, right? And isolating your message to the audience and making sure that you are showing up and playing the part with both proper preparation, but also an authenticity to yourself. We want you to be who you are, right? But it is only once you have gotten into the room or you have you are on the phone with that executive, you're in a meeting that the selling really, really starts. So let's talk about keeping an executive's attention with confidence and competence. Christine, we're going to start with you again. What are some of the tells that you look for in identifying whether the person on the other end of the conversation, whether you're in person or virtual or or even over texting, is prepared and knowledgeable? When I'm, when you mean when they're selling me? Yes, when they're selling, to, you know, what do you look for? It's like, ooh, what I'm trying to get at here is we've talked a lot about what you should do. What shouldn't? We do. What are some of the ways that if we wanted to self-audit our approach today, whether that's an email template or how I'm thinking about approaching an on-site next week, what are some things I should remove from that equation? So number one, I can tell when someone is distracted and doing something else. Um, So if you're going to take notes, like I love it when someone tells me exactly what's going to happen in our conversation. This so starting kind of with the end in mind. Here's what we're going to do today is you know and get my buy-in on the conversation. Also, if they're taking notes, um, I don't I don't want them typing. Typing makes me think they're on Slack doing something else. So if you're going to be talking to me just like this and on a Zoom, um, then I do want you to be and look feel enthusiastic about the conversation and being engaged. So if they're going to take notes. Usually, and what I do when I sell as well is I'm like, I'm going to be just jotting down a few things as we talk. So I let them know. And also, um, occasionally, I will probably bring my pen up so they see I really am, you know, and then um, that's kind of just little, I'm showing them in my body and my awareness and everything that they have my attention. I am paying attention. And these are some of the nuances that in person you can read. I try to make sure that I am telling them and showing them that they have my attention the entire time. And so I start by letting them know, like getting the buy-in on the conversation about what specifically this part of this process is going to be and what they can expect from me from it. And then we work through it. Um, But things like that, like do as much as you can to communicate what you're trying to communicate with your body, with your language, with your tone. Keep your tone lower. A lower tone gives um, the end voice modulation up and down, gives me something to listen to and be interesting or interested by. So and if things start to go kind of funny, you definitely if there's weirdness, dropping your tone naturally makes people think you are more confident. 
when they start going up, it starts to make me a little uncomfortable about all the weird things that you're getting ready to say and that I feel nervous. And like immediately all of you kind of probably had a little bit of an anxious feeling when I started doing that because it's weird. It feels weird. We know it tells us something. So being mindful of this and practicing it is important. I love that. And we spent some time earlier this week for, for the audience talking about some basics here. Video on. Not every company culture is going to ask you to have your video on. But think about how you approach even an internal meeting, but especially an external meeting, if your video is off. You are way more apt to look to the right, to pull out a pen, to have a snack. To You're distracted. The The video on in this world of, of digital selling, I think, is an accountability measure for all of us, right? Look at the camera, be engaged, be prepared. You can have all of your supporting crutches, your, your training wheels around you to make you look really good. That's super important. And for me personally, if I am in person with a room of executives and I have colleagues with their computers up, whether they're typing notes or whether they're slacking, I can't tell. But that clacking is certainly distracting, right? So bring a notebook, right? But you'll be surprised how much you retain if you're just active listening. Jamal, what are some of the ways for us to extract confidence from all that research and, and value mapping that we talked about at the top of the call, right? Um, I, I know that in mega deals, we're going to have to get really good at things like navigating 10Ks and listening to earning calls. But even at a basic level, if we're talking about mid-market, account research it really factors into our pursuit. They have always found the older that I get here as a geriatric millennial, the more confident I am, it comes from really knowing something. So what are some strategies to help us bolster confidence and competence that can be informed by just doing better research? What should we be thinking about? I, I broadly put it in two categories. There's research and there's discovery. Okay. And both of those go into great prep. Research is something that we can do on our own. It's basically internet-based uh, Googling. If it's public companies, we can find their annual, their quarterly SEC reports. If they're private, um, we can follow their executives. If they're ever in the financial press, we can look for uh, press releases. I Google the name of the company and the name of the person and see what comes up. Then I just do the person and then more personal stuff sometimes comes out. Just the more, you know, filters and, and, uh, kind of finding the contours about the person, the company, the meeting place between them, et cetera. The more we do, the broader, the wider, the deeper picture we get, both about the person, the company, and maybe the interaction between them, like like what they're trying to achieve. The, I, I could talk about that piece all day, but let's le leave that there because yeah. you can go nuts and, and really great reps go nuts and they, they find out this cool stuff. They don't always use it all because you could actually look like a stalker, but it's good to know as much as you can. On the other half is the discovery piece. So it is an amazingly great position to be in to have a meeting with an executive and then have initial calls with worker bees or mid-level people and basically say, hey, I have this call coming up with Christine and they know who Christine is. She is the VP of whatever. And we're going to be talking about X and I would 
I would be really appreciative if I could just get your view on that, how, how you live that reality on the shop floor at the middle layer or whatever, because the more relevant the conversation, the, the, the more I know about what it's really like for you guys, the more I'll be able to, you know, have a relevant conversation with Christine. Um, that's it, it, it just sends your credibility through the roof because you're already over their head. There, there's no way they're they're going to contain you. You are not their main contact. You're meeting with somebody one or two levels above them, and they, a lot of contacts want to be a part of that, and so they're going to help and support or you know give you the kind of uh, context that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And again, I could go deep on that side too, but let's just break it down into the research and the discovery and the more that we do in advance of executive meetings the better off we'll be how do you how do you both think about enriching business acumen so one of the points that we talked about at the beginning was this translation so you can do research and you can do discovery but you have to get to that nugget of why does this matter Right. Well, you talked about when you're speaking to executives, understanding what drives the business. How do we think about closing those gaps in business acumen? Because what drives a supply chain or a logistics company could be materially different than biotech or pharma. What are some of the strategies for, for both of you? I'd love, I'd love to hear this that help us get a little bit of knowledge about a lot of industries, especially let's let's make an assumption here that some of our audience sells something that could apply across a wide range of different verticals. How should we approach business acumen knowledge gaps? Is it books? Is it just time? Is it finding a mentor? What is it? Christine, let's start with you and then Jamal will hear from you. And then for everyone, yeah, ask your questions in the Q&A. We're going to have about five or 10 minutes at the end to ask these two amazing guest speakers some questions. Drop them into the Q&A, upvote them if you wanna to hear those answered live. Let's get back into business acumen though. I will say this, one of the best ways that I think any when you're working for a company and a missing um, piece of information is so often on the other side. So if we're in the selling if we're in the selling motion, we can get it really kind of just all over the place around what do I need to know? What do I need to know for the purposes of selling? Go on the other side, go on the fulfillment side. That is where I have found really rich pieces and nuggets that I did not understand. So what I would do is actually talk to people who are not only implementing and getting someone started in those first you know, few months when they're kind of starting to build some software. And I'm, I'm talking about all the way from like SMBs all the way up. You are going to learn a lot about different types of companies. And also, you should make friends with those people on the customer success side and because they are valuable to your own growth and development. So ask someone that you are passing things off to. Hey, next time you have, you know, somebody that's working on that specific an analyst that is doing it in the, you know, if fuel, I would love to hear one of those calls. Would you mind if you either sent me the recording or let me listen to that? Because I'm trying to understand some of the vernacular. I have a couple people in the pipeline that I'm just not connecting quite with. And I'm telling you, just listening to those, when I was on the SMB side, I would listen to live support calls just so I could hear what they were saying. Because after they, they were calling in irritated about, you know, a couple different things, but they're using very specific language that is telling me what the day to day is actually about with them. 
So on the other side of the business is just a wealth of knowledge. So if you do have to happen to have, um, you know, a product that spans a lot of different types of industries, verticals, companies, sizes, which that sometimes happens, then I would say go there first before you start picking up a bunch of books and doing a lot of things. Certainly be following the right people on LinkedIn, get some acumen. But I'm telling you, over in your own company is a wealth of information. I would really I would really be there first. That would be my first suggestion. I love it. Jamal, any recommendations for brushing up on our business acumen so that we can take research and discovery and translate that into our best guess at how our product or service might impact a manager or a VP or an executive. I'm I'm expert at this because I am in I was in such a erudite field. I was consistently the dumbest guy in the room. <laughs> it's always a good sign. It's always a good sign. <laughs> Take that away from this call if nothing else. And that's your goal. <laughs> I, and I consistently needed help from people around me. And um, so uh, Chris, Christine's tip is amazing. Uh, the, the same is true within the customer organization. There's, there's a lot. Of, so even though we're talking about going high, having the conversation up there, there's so much gold on the shop floor. It's just laying there. If you just listen to it, pick it up. Um, in the same way that Christine said, hey, listen to those customer service calls within your own company, the more research or the, 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 the discovery that you can do with folks on the shop floor within the customer, you're going to learn stuff that the executive who you're going to talk to doesn't even know because they're not at that level of detail. Yeah. And when you can say, I was talking with somebody on the shop floor and she was saying moving the pallets is really hard because of the equipment that we use. Or, and you, you're not even in the equipment industry. You just happen to know that, you, you know, your, your credibility goes up like three notches just with that drop, that kind of leave behind side comment. Um, I, I make this analogy of the hand, which is if the, if the contact or the company is at the center in the palm, there's always an ecosystem around it. And I try to leverage as many players in the ecosystem as I can to get close to that company or that person. So whether it's a partner of mine, it could be a system integrator or a boutique consultant or a former employee or executive, or, you know, there's all kind of people who are in the ecosystem around the person or company that you're trying to prepare for and let that the closer, the closer they are aligned to your success, the more they're going to be willing to speak with you. But I would go to the SMEs within my own company. I would, when, when talking with, you know, people lower down the chain preparing, I would always sincerely have the, the, the humble place of saying, I don't know. I would like to know. I'm okay with saying, I don't know. Just lay it out for me. Just lay it out in grandma's terms. And, and that's about as much as I could chew. I love it. I love it. A, a lot of what we're talking about here is is design thinking and applying design thinking into the world of selling, right? Asking questions, being really curious. If you have an opportunity, go be a mystery shopper at your customer. If you're selling supply chain and logistics, right? And you're trying to be that last mile delivery, or you're trying to do warehousing. For an example, go order something from an e-commerce site, receive it, watch what the return process is like, you're coming up with a user story that is real life. You could take that to an executive tomorrow. And if you start to triangulate that data by talking to people on the shop floor, 
Now, all of a sudden, you have a really compelling hypothesis about perhaps how your solution or product could solve that, right? If you're selling marketing automation or sales technology, like where I work, right? Go inbound on those sites. Request a demo, fill out a form, see how long it takes somebody to get back to you. Talk to somebody. Be curious. Talk to your customers' customers. All of this helps enrich your ability to research and discover what is important and to show up with something of value so that you earn that attention of the executive. Right. So Lily, Lily. Yeah. Can I tell a quick story? Because tell a quick story. Yeah, we've got five minutes left. Tell it back. We've got just one question to answer. Let's hear it. It's 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 exactly it's right down the middle of the plate for what you just said. Okay. So at the time, um, does anybody let Let's do a quick question. Does anybody know the name Alpesh Patel? Does anybody on the phone know his name? Not me, Christine. Do you? Oh, I don't. Okay. And I, I forget the year. It was like 2012 or 2014 or something like that. Um, Alpesh Patel was a really big name. Alpesh Patel was an individual contributor at Salesforce. Okay. And he was in the financial services space. And one of his, uh, one of his customers was a very large insurance company. And to basically really understand that company, he got his insurance license and became a part-time insurance seller for that insurance company. And during his onboarding and and he started to sell insurance, he learned what it was like to be an agent for uh, for, for this insurance company. And he took all of the learnings from the systems that they used and the processes that they had, and he took it back to his team at Salesforce. And they wrote a document, I don't know, this thick, and they ultimately sent it to the CIO. And to cut the story down to the punchline, um, they went through a very uh, uh, detailed sales cycle and won the deal that became the largest deal in Salesforce history and the person who told me this story was standing on the stage next to Alpesh when he received a commission check that was about five or six feet wide, and it was for $4 million. Wow. There's a, there's a book called Naked Sales by Ashley Welch and, and Justin Jones, and it starts with another Salesforce seller, uh, like riding a, riding a bus with one of his target pursuits. So. It is a proven strategy. If you're an AE selling into big, big companies, get into their customers' shoes. Feel what it's like to be a customer of theirs so you can be the best strategic advisor. All right. So a a couple of just key takeaways here when we think about keeping and retaining attention with confidence and competence. We want you to be able to anticipate what executives will care about. Sometimes that starts with admitting you don't know a lot about this industry. Go learn. Ask about that ecosystem mystery shop, ask customers of this uh, account that you're trying to break into. That's going to help you get really good at research and translation. All right, we've got two minutes left here. I've got two questions in the Q&A, then we'll close it out by giving everyone a, a tip on how, uh, Christine and Jamal, people can get in touch with you. Kristen asked, would you, would you like, would it be better to ask if it's okay to record the conversation versus taking notes? Let's do rapid fire. Christine, what do you think about this? And then Jamal, go ahead and answer. We got one more question after that. 
I would be fine with that. I, I think it depends on what you're selling. Um, but in, uh, I would just say, take notes anyway. Take notes anyway, be engaged. Perfect. Jamal, what do you think? I would say, yes, I would ask. And the way that I, it, well, the way that I ask is kind of important. I just say, hey, is it okay with you if I record the call so I can, <laughs> Christine's just a little different, so I can listen to you instead of taking notes. <laughs> and if you want, and, and if you want, I can send you the recording if you wanted to. Yeah, perfect. I love that. I love that. Sierra has a great question here. She says, how do you overcome an objection about my position? She's come across this multiple times. She's being told that she's not high up enough in her company to be worth the time of an executive. So how does she politely overcome that? Uh, Jamal, let's start with you. And then Christine, will kick it over to you. I mean, this is such a common problem. I would basically say leverage your own executive and get them involved in the deal. So often I will step back and I will do what I call executive mapping. So I'll get somebody who is as close to what I would call having peer business status with the executive who I'm trying to reach. And I don't need to be the hero. I can be the coach, not the player on the field. Mm -hmm. I, think, I, I would just say um, not even, I, I always try to network my way in with my current network, not even with my current company necessarily. But if I, I will try to find someone that I actually know and have them help me in there, especially if I know it's a high, you know, a high C executive that I don't know, and they will not, you know, pay attention to me. I use my network as much as possible. A lot of business comes from that, from a simple like introduction. And that usually gives you some uh, credibility right away. Fantastic. All right. Thanks everyone for your time. Christine and then Jabal, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? My email address is Christine at Aspireship. Dot com, so anybody can reach me there and also very active on LinkedIn. So I would love to connect with everyone. Perfect. Jamal, how about you? Just hit me up on LinkedIn, Jamal Reimer. Uh, I'm sure the spelling will be in the show notes um, or you can check out what we do at enterprisesellers.com. Perfect. Thanks everyone for your time. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, folks. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.